<laughs> Brett's, Brett's on the clock, dude. He's ready to get out of here, dude. <laughs> There's a lot of heavy breathing going on the mic. It's like it's like we're a bunch of overweight dudes and we're it's old. like labored breathing here. <laughs> hey everybody tuning in out there in uh, Facebook land and uh, soon to be YouTube land because we're gonna go live on YouTube soon. Uh, this is this pink cloud season two episode forty one. Yay. Uh, I got to stress, uh, episode 40 last week was fantastic. We had the men of Nehemiah. Love those guys. Uh, great resource out there. By the way, I am DJ Kelly Reverb, or I am Kelly Reverb, and I identify as a DJ. <laughs> That's what I like to say. And sitting across from me, let me see what I can come up with for Dusty. Oh, good. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, LPC. Mom's watching. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'll leave out the Charlie Manson part. How's that? Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, LPC, LCDC, starter of, uh, or purveyor, would you say, of Sobar Basics? Purveyor? Yeah, we'll go with sure. that. I like and, that. It's and good. then uh, the, uh, the self-proclaimed Vanilla Viking. And I like, I like to think of him as the bearded oracle. You like that? That's the, new. The and bearded it's great, oracle. And I like it. <laughs> we but call the, him the bearded wonder at work. Well, I like the bearded oracle, actually. I think that gives him a little more street cred. I but like that, oracle. But that is Dusty Burroughs right uh, there, in case you didn't know. Yeah. Thank you, Kelly. Nice to meet you. <laughs> thank you, Dan. And Dan, what can I say about Dan? Other than he is the biggest POS I've ever met. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Dirty, dirty. Yeah, no, I love this guy, and he's been a great friend of mine in recovery. Uh, it is uh, the, I guess you started up uh, a group called Knucklehead Recovery, and you, you are in long-term recovery yourself, and you have a fantastic story, which I can't wait to get to, but that ladies and gentlemen, is Dan Nybrun, a.k.a. Dirty Dan. Dirty. Yeah. I love y'all. <laughs> hey, before we get into it, I uh, just want to shout out to our sponsors. That is Summer Sky, which is www.summersky.us. Uh, their number is 888-857-8857. They are a lovely facility out in Stephenville, Texas. It's where I got sober. And if I can do it, trust me. You could do it. <laughs> I mean, it was really, I was in full-on denial until I got that 30 days, and I got that 30 days, and I'm like, why the hell have I been drinking this whole We've time? We've seen your dresser. Yeah, right? Oh, yeah, you saw the dresser where I fell out of bed numerous times, and yeah, yeah. Fun stuff, fun stuff. I'll have, to, I'll have to share that with the audience again. But uh, once again, that address is uh, summersky.us, and that's 888-857-8857. Lovely place out in Stephenville, Texas, and where you can get some help. Also want to shout out to our boys, uh, cardinalhouserecovery.com. Cardinalhouserecovery.com is a sober living here in the DFW area. They have three different houses, I believe, three or two. 
I don't know. Anyway, um, but cardinalhouserecovery.com, and that number is 918-998-4223. Once again, that is 918-998-4223. And uh, shout out um, to Josh from Cardinal House. And Chelsea. And, and Chelsea. new parents. I know. Yeah. Lovely Lyle. I know. Shout out. And uh, I'm kind of disappointed that they didn't name their child Kelly. Or but, Dusty. Or yeah. Well, or, or Dirty. Are dirty. Well, but Dusty and Kelly are good uh, unisex, uh, you know, non what non binary uh, names. Yeah, non binary names. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Right. There we go. So, name well, the kids. so okay, so yeah, we kind of gave you the intro there, um, but I mean, we are all friends in here, so if we call each other an asshole, it's okay, and and if we belittle each other, it's expected of us. Looks I've been looking <laughs> so forward to this because we are friends and we give each other shit all the time. Right. And especially Dan because he works with me. And yeah, y'all both work out. Of, well, let's get it, let's get that out of the way. Like you work out at TCC Texoma and the community center. Yeah, we're doing great things out there. And Dan has been a part of the team for so long, and I'm so proud of him and all the things he's doing. But it's actually his last day. Yep, today. So I'm, Dude, I'm, I'm really sad. Una yeah, lagra. He's on to new opportunities you know and uh, he's been uh integral part of the team for a long time so right i'll miss you i love you oh, and, and we're it, really proud of everything you're doing man. we're gonna we're gonna make dan cry oh, before, and, and also before he F starts you the interview yeah. Yeah. You know well dan but dan's at a lot of places because i know he's at turtle creek as well and he helped he uh does a little recovery tech and he's trained to be an interventionist and all kinds of uh, good stuff, and and then you know the Facebook page, of course, which we all know and love, which is Knucklehead Recovery on Facebook, and it's the lighter side of uh, of recovery, you know, just kind of saying knucklehead type things. But dude, you have this incredible backstory, or it better be after that buildup, dude. Yeah, for real. <laughs> Y'all ready for the letdown? <laughs> yeah, right. But, Dan, yeah, just tell us uh, a little bit about yourself and, uh, you know, where where it all went wrong and where it all went right. So, you know, I, I can't blame my parents or anything like that for, mm. for my addiction, for spinning off. My parents did the best they could with what they knew, right? Um, I'd say I had a better childhood than most. Okay. Um, my dad got me involved in racing when I was a kid, about eight, nine years old. Racing when you say racing, oh, go-karts, yeah. okay. So, okay. and we got to the point where we're traveling all over the country all the time. Oh, uh, were you on that? Was there, is there like a pro circuit for that? Or? There is now. It's called Scusa, but back then you just had the IKF and WK. <laughs> it was, it was dads with their sons with trailers. I mean, it was a lot of money. <laughs> and gasoline. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Okay, well, I'm already envious. So, <clears throat> go-karts as a kid, I mean, that's yeah. a blast. By the time I was in junior high, which is where I met Dusty, um, I'd already started in getting this inflated ego because I was just doing things that none of my friends were doing, right? Mm -hmm. I was traveling all over the country, just doing incredible stuff. And the ego Did you have any groupies? <laughs> 13. Yeah, yeah, me. Yeah, you were your I, own I groupie. was my number one fan. <laughs> I love Dan, too. So... Right? You know, I got a funny story about how Dusty and I met. Okay. Uh, I believe it was the first year that he moved to the colony where we're from. I was in eighth grade U.S. history, Miss Martin's class, and she just called roll his first day of school. I called my name, or she called my name. I said, here. She's like, I've heard about you. Get in the hall. <laughs> Already, dude, you get called out. I hadn't like. even done nothing, right? And <laughs> she, she left me out there for a week. Like, okay. I couldn't come. The first week of her class, I'd sit out in the hall. So... <laughs> 
I'm out there the first 10, 15 minutes like, man, what is going on? What did, you know, what did I do, right? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden I hear all this uh, laughing erupting out in this Texas history, seventh grade class. Mm-hmm. And I hear this teacher yell, get out. And the door opens and out walks Dusty Burroughs. <laughs> and that's how I met Dusty Burroughs in the hallway. <laughs> nice, dude. So, so y'all, y'all were both uh, troublemaker class clowns. He got let back into class. I got stuck out there by myself for a week. Wow. Well, I mean, maybe that's some past trauma that you're still, you know, you were dealing with. Well, I'll you tell know? you what. Because of that teacher, I love history. Yeah? It was the greatest teacher I ever had. Okay. You know, she taught me she wasn't going to put up on my crap. Right. And, uh, like, important life lessons. Yeah. But Pretty that's cool. funny. So did Dusty have a beard when he was 13? No. No. <laughs> I think it came out, what, 14? <laughs> yeah, right? Something like that. Yeah. But so, so anyway, that's cool. So anyway, uh, we started racing all the time, um, traveling the circuit all over the country. Egos getting inflated. Um, there was this one group in Griffin Middle School where we went um, that just were not impressed with me at all. They all had long hair and wore Metallica and Megadeth T-shirts. Okay. I'm a people person. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I got to befriend these people. Right. And, um, of course, they were doing the, the illicit fun. Right? Mm-hmm. They were taking pot and various other pot substances. Pot, acid, cocaine was really big. And then in the middle of junior high. We had, we had like a crew like that at my junior high as well. Yeah, shout out uh, Richardson Junior High, which is no longer there. But, uh, yeah, we had a, a spot uh, designed for those people, and it was actually called Freak Alley. And it was behind the school, behind these houses. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. yeah, they would do all kinds of... Right uh, our spot. It's yeah. in the ditch that used to be beside Griffin. That's gone now. Right. They bulldoze that sucker. But um, now, uh, you know, I started hanging out with those guys. Um, when we got into high school, uh, I was kind of hanging out with the older crowd. I always thought it was because I was cool, but it was because of my racing. I know it was. but It uh, was because you're what? My racing. Like, oh, okay. I was in magazines. So on Fridays, I, or Thursdays and Fridays, I would get picked up. With a transporter outside with my name on the side of the trailer to go racing for the weekend. Oh, nice, so, dude. So this was big time. It was, it was yeah, pretty big. I mean, and yeah. yeah, I could see how when you're a kid, you're like, yeah, dude, <clears throat> let me uh, I was ranked get in to my top car. 10 in right. the country most of my, oh, my wow. racing career as a kid. Wow. And so everybody we were surrounded with had big budgets. It was just my dad turning wrenches on our car. Right. I, I was like 50 pounds overweight, so <laughs> we were lucky to be that good. Right. So anyway, I just started hanging out with the wrong crowd. When I was a freshman, I was hanging out with seniors, and Mm -hmm. I would demand that my parents, you know, let me do what my friends were doing hours-wise. But, I mean, there's a big difference between a freshman and a senior, right? Mm -hmm. I I didn't see that then. I I totally see it now. Um, Started fighting with my parents all the time, and um, eventually my dad got tired of it and blackballed me out of racing, sold everything. Ooh. And, uh I bet that was a huge blow, dude. Like, I mean, that's where your identity was, and you were you Nothing. were like, yeah, dude, uh, okay, Dan, how about this, dude? Yeah. We're just going to go ahead and sell everything. So I just spin off course. I'm like, I'll show you, right? Yeah. So I just totally spin off course. I remember my last day at high school, I got into a fight with, like, 20 people. and <laughs> Nice. I, how'd, I, that, how'd that come out, dude? Uh, it was easy to do at the Colony High School. Yeah? Did I, you win? Uh, knocked a teacher out. Oh, sh- wow. I spent a year in Denton County for it. Oh, and, well, congratulations. Uh, yeah, was, that's All where right. I graduated, Denton County High. Okay. County. So anyway, uh, when I left, when I got out of jail, my parents sent me to 
Florida to live with my uncle. Who's a Florida's always the greatest place to get sober. Yes. <laughs> or, or, or Padre. It was right. the absolute worst idea sure. my parents ever came up with. Okay. So my uncle was a big biker dude that he had turned my aunt's son and um, daughter around so they thought he could work wonders with me. And ah. We were two peas in a pod. <laughs> um, it was a horrible idea. But eventually he got tired of me too and he kicked me out and I, I got my first taste of homelessness when I was... 17, 18 years old, living okay. in Tampa, Florida. Wow. Um, so my story has a lot of homelessness in it. Mm -hmm. um, I hear a lot of people always have the couch surfing stuff. Man, mm -hmm. I piss people off so much. Too. Right. You you had have, no I couches have, options. Have, <laughs> not, not at yeah. all. You were so, more of a park bench guy. Yeah. Yeah, I so gotcha. At the end of it, it, I was living in Bridges in downtown Dallas. Wow. I think in, like, 2012, I got arrested, like, 20 times for panhandling down there. Wow, really? So, huh. Um, yeah, so I, 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 I threw my whole life away, get it back together. Um, I meet this girl. I moved to St. Louis to get away from everything, right, because uh, Dallas is not working for okay. me. Okay. So I got a friend that's in St. Louis, so I move up there. This is after you get kicked out of your uncle's house in after Florida. After I get kicked yeah. out, um, I, I get rehab for the first time. My parents sent me this place called Freedom House in Russellville, Arkansas. Did that for a year. Um, stayed sober for a year, but I didn't stay sober for a year in a minute. I had everything planned out. Once I hit that year mark, we were off and running. Again. <laughs> I, I told <laughs> I was talking to Dusty about that as well. I was like, well, I hit a year. Beer me, yeah. <laughs> you know. But uh, I said that day. My yeah. first year of sobriety, uh, I drank on day three sixty six. Yeah, just yeah. to make sure you had the year in, just yeah. in case you were a little bit yeah. off. Yeah. You had to make okay, sure you made this. that year. Yeah, yeah. I didn't like work it. out so good. All yeah. right, I told everybody the first year was for me to get blood back in my drug stream. <laughs> That's all I was there for. Blood back in your drug stream. I like it. So, um, did mannerism. Yeah, didn't make it a year in a minute. Um, come back to Dallas, getting well. More by trouble. the way, by the way, we haven't really addressed what your DOC was. Like, I mean, was it all over the place at this time? Or? More. Yeah, more. That's yeah. Okay, so are you are you shooting in yep. IV and yep. everything? Okay, yeah. yeah. So, so you, maybe you gave your your veins a uh, give us a the break. dirty details. Uh, so man, I love shooting meth, love shooting cocaine, uh, -huh. uh, love hanging out with naked women when I'm shooting cocaine and shooting meth. Right. <laughs> okay. So that was just, that was my life. That's what I live for. Um, I, I, I got to the point where I was getting so screwed up in my head that anytime I would get arrested, they wouldn't take me to jail anymore. They'd take me to Wichita Falls State Mental Hospital and I'd get locked up in Wichita Falls. Um, I did a, a little stint there one time and. It was actually the last time I was ever there. They sent me in front of all these doctors. They were doing all these diagnoses on me. And I had a basket weaving partner in our recreation class. Okay. That was 80 years old. Okay. That had been in maximum security state hospital in Texas his whole life because he massacred his family on Christmas morning when he was 17. Mm. This is my basket weaving partner. Yeah, of course. So Sounds like somebody to buddy up with. When yeah. he, he got so old that they put him in the minimum security up there in Wichita Falls, right? Because uh -huh. he just wasn't a threat anymore. And we would be doing our arts and crafts, and this guy would describe what it was like massacring his family. Wow, dude. Like, and enjoying telling you about it. Wow. Right? So finally, they put me in this room. They're talking to all these psychiatrists. They're talking in language I don't understand. And they were like, say, um, do you have anything you want to say before we pass our judgment on you? Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, I want to thank y'all for bringing me here. It's the best thing that ever happened to me. <laughs> Dude, I got my 80-year-old. No, it, it really was yeah, because right? 
I used to think I was crazy uh-huh. until I got there. Okay. And then I realized I'm just fucked up, and there's a big difference between fucked up and crazy. Okay. And well, I, expound. I, I told him right then and there. I was like, I don't belong here, man. I belong in jail. You right. Know? Um, there was a lady in there that every morning at 10 o'clock in the morning, you could hide all the clocks, watches in the room. I don't care. At 10 o'clock in the morning, she would jump up and start talking Nanu Nanu Mork and Mindy stuff to the mothership for like 10 minutes and then sit back down. It would never say a word again. <laughs> so okay. the next morning at 10 o'clock, man, she'd pop up and start nanu nanu. And well, dude, maybe so, she, she was on a different plane than us, but, uh, you know. Obviously. All right. So, no, I, I mean, I realized there's a big difference between being crazy and being just a screwed up person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, person. I mean, but there is, and Dusty will, uh, uh, you know, also agree with me that there is there is that co-occurring, you know. There mm. is that uh, addict and also the mental Absolutely. portion. And that's one of the things I've always been impressed with about Dan. I mean, obviously, we've been friends a long time, but uh, when we're in our addiction, we do some horrific things. Mm -hmm. We do some crazy things. And once we take those chemicals out and we get into recovery, we don't act that way anymore, you know? And so it's for, for some of us, just a matter of not putting those chemicals in our body anymore. Oh yeah, you know. No, I agree. A, yeah, if you, that, if you take that, if you take that portion do that out, and yeah, your life's gonna get better. Well, I, I can tell you personally that my mental health since I've quit drinking, um, my mental health is, you know, definitely, you know, taking a turn for the best because I do, I, I don't have the level of anxiety mm -hmm. that I had. And that was the main reason why I was drinking. So yeah. it was like the, it was like the whole problem, you know, the, the solution is the problem thing. Yeah, and, and I gotta and give a shout out to my friends who have border, borderline personality disorder, right. bipolar disorder, schizophrenia. I was going to have that. to mention, they have to deal with a whole another set of circumstances that some of us do not. And that's, it's very challenging. But it's possible that you can recover despite all of that. Right, right. And, uh, and then we've had a we had an episode with uh, our friend Gail yeah, on Gail about awesome. and, and I can't and I have to point at the camera and go, hey, be sure and, you know, get yourself checked out mentally because that might be a game changer because it was Absolutely. it was definitely for Gail because, you know, she was undiagnosed with mm -hmm. bipolar. And then once she got on the correct meds, then she was able to navigate her sobriety. Yeah. When so, you stop drinking, you stop doing drugs and you're like, oh, my God, it's this isn't working for me. Get yourself to uh, a doctor, psychologist, psychiatrist. I mean, counselor. Zoom. So for God's so, sakes, yeah. man, it's so easy. Because there just might go, be a lot more yeah. going on than just the addiction piece. Yeah, right. For sure. For sure. So so anyway, back to uh, the the lady waking up at ten o'clock talking to. So I got released that day. Okay. And right there, like, all right, yeah, you're right. You don't belong here, and I never saw the inside of that facility again. After okay. that, anytime I got arrested, I was like, everybody else got to go back to jail. Okay, so, and give us a timeline. Like, how old of a, a fellow were you at early, that time? Early twenties. Early twenties. Okay. So, um, I get out of there. A friend of mine's like, bro, the Dallas Cowboys can't even stay sober in Dallas. Of course, this is early 90s, mid-90s, right? He's like, yeah, the Dallas sure. Cowboys can't stay sober in Dallas, man. So you need to get out of Dallas. Come to St. Louis. Okay. Um, you know, and I made up my mind when I got there. I was not going to drink. I wasn't going to smoke weed anymore. I was going to be completely sober. He moved me in with his girlfriend. Um, she got me a job at the restaurant she worked at. And then... Um, it wasn't like a week later, I come home from work one day, and she's got some dude sitting on her couch, and I'm like, Who, you know, what's this? 
And she's like, uh, this is Jack. His dad is the chief of police, but he's the biggest pot dealer in, I'm not going to say where, because mm-hmm. I actually said his name. And uh, she throws me an ounce of weed. Mm-hmm. She goes, you're a total dick when you're not high. So <laughs> I, I know you're trying to quit, but you need to at least smoke weed, and I'll buy the first ounce. It's on me. He's going to be your supplier. <laughs> How nice. So I started getting high again. Uh-huh. You know, and, of course, the weed wasn't strong enough. So then were you a dick when you were sober? Because yeah, I don't think I'm, you're a I dick I was now. miserable. Yeah? You were uh, just a miserable. Yeah. Okay, so that's another good thing to point out is the people that are miserable in their sobriety. And, I mean, I honestly think, you know, um, the the 12 steps is designed to help deal with that portion. Or, I mean, you know, not Absolutely. just solely, but, I mean, you know. What is the difference for you between sobriety and recovery. Well, sobriety to me is sober, right? Abstinence. Abstinence, right. So there's forms of recovery where, you know, if, if somebody's not smoking crack and raping and pillaging the world anymore and they, they, they smoke a little weed and it's working for them, mm-hmm. you know, that's a success to me. They're not on the streets being a street creature. Um, that's a success to me if it works for them. Right. No, and I, and then we're also big fans of Matt, which, you know, I mean, hey, it beat, you know, a little buprenorphine uh, beats, uh, you know, being on the streets and shooting, so, shooting toilet water. I was so anti-Matt when I started working at TCC, which is a Matt program. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and I told him I was willing to learn about it and whatnot. So, you know, the only things I'd ever seen were some of the methadone clinics in Dallas. There's like one over there on Turtle Creek in downtown. That's just, man, there's zombies out there. Right. And that was, I just, that's no help in my opinion. Right. At mm-hmm. the time. So, and then I've heard, you know, bad things about Suboxone. The really, the only thing I ever knew about Suboxone was I had a dealer that when he didn't have dope, he would give you Suboxone so you wouldn't go look for heroin somewhere else. Oh, you'd, you'd wait well, hey, you dude, that is good customer service. I yeah, like he'd it. He'd give it to you for free, right? Okay, So, yeah. that's the only thing I knew about Suboxone. So, um, you know, but when I get up to Texoma, when it's done properly, right, uh-huh. um, where there is a end date, if that's what the client chooses, um, that there's counseling that goes along with it. There's, I mean, d- um, really direct supervision on how it's being taken mm-hmm. and, and punishment if they're, um, and when I say punishment, I mean locks of services if you're not doing it right. Sure. And peer support. All coaches. of that stuff, right? Right. It works. Yeah. Like, I've seen it. There's too many clients up there, man, that, um, you know, when I kicked heroin, I did it cold turkey, and I wouldn't wish that on anybody. That mm-hmm. was the roughest two months of my life. Right. Um, and I wouldn't wish that on anybody. Um, you know, all the, everything that we do at Texoma Community Center, um, we have a contract with the state, all our numbers are, are, are kept up with. You can't lie about the numbers. So if you want a opiate addict to have like, I believe it's a 75% more likelihood of relapse, asking them to do abstinence, strictly mm. abstinence when they get off heroin. Yeah. They're 75% more likely to relapse. You get people on Suboxone that are actually doing the program. They're actually going to the counselor, the UNS RSS services, they're getting involved in the recovery community. They walk away from it, man. You yeah. Know, and they don't struggle. Like, I, man, I struggled for a long time when I first came off heroin. Sure. Can you tell people more about what your experience is as a recovery coach? Because hey, a lot Dusty. of people don't know what that is. Mike's here. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, a recovery coach, I like to break it down this way, a good 12-step sponsor. And I, I used to be a 12-step snob. I love the 12 steps. But sure. I also like smart dharma 
There's just so many good things out there. Right. So you're a multiple pathway guy. Multiple pathways. So whatever whatever works and whatever fits. Yeah. And that's coming from someone who used to be a 12-step snob, thinking that was the only way, right? That's the gold standard. Nothing else is... You know, it's just a bunch of crap. right. Yeah, if they're not if they're not doing it my way, then they're not doing it right. So a sponsor has three primary jobs if they're doing their job right. Um, they take you through the book, they take you through the steps, right, and they teach how to rely on God. They're not your banker. They're not your marriage counselor. They are not your real estate broker. That's mm. not what a good sponsor is going to be used for, right? Um, so a recovery coach does everything. Except mm-hmm. three things. There's three things a recovery coach does not do. Mm-hmm. Let's take you through the book, take you through the steps, teach you how to rely on God. Mm-hmm. That's a, and we're that's not your, and we're also not your counselor. Absolutely, we're not your, we're <laughs> or not your, your counselor. There, yeah. yeah. But we are. We're barrier removers. Yeah. Right. You know, you got somebody like I'm trying to get a job, but I can't find my birth certificate. And, Man, and that's our job. Step and up. Resource brokers. Total exactly. resource brokers. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, but sure. I don't want to. Oh, it seems like we got off subject, man. We were we were going down this dark pathway, dude, and then we got, we started yeah, talking. I have recovery. two RSPSs here. I know yeah. that you've sponsored both of them, right? Yeah, or you've true. mentored both of them. Yeah, yeah. Way to go, Dustin. Thank you, thank you, bearded oracle. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I um, I'm back in St. Louis. Um, start smoking weed, and of course, one thing leads to another. And I can't stress that enough that for some people, they can be California sober. I like to call it, and smoke some weed every once in a while. Dirty Dan cannot. Yeah, and neither. And you know, we had Quincy Carter, and I always like to name drop. You know, we had Quincy Carter from the Dallas Cowboys, and uh, you know, that's what started it for him. Yeah. It was just it was it was truly a gateway. Drug. Yeah, it is for me. So yeah, not so, for everybody. And I wish you luck if you can do that uh, and navigate successfully. But I wish I could. Yeah, sure. So Don't anyway, I meet this. Um, I meet this girl, and I'm not going to talk about it too long because my wife's watching. Mm-hmm. Um, so I meet this girl up there. <clears throat> um, you know, she was a, a good, wholesome person, mm-hmm. right? And I've never had anything like that. Um, you know, at, since my racing, once I was thrown out on the streets, I'd been involved in satanic gangs. I had been just in some really dark places, right? And this woman was a was a light, and I wanted to start being different when I would hang around her. And mm-hmm. um, she made you want to be a better person, kind of, yes. so to speak. But it worked out the other way. I okay. trashed her up. So, okay. Um, <laughs> we ended up getting married. She gave me my son. Uh-huh. Um, who's 21, Tristan Dakota, that's my boy. Uh-huh. Um, you know, when he was born, I decided I, I just didn't want to live that dark life anymore, right? But I still like him not, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and we were just, we would smoke weed and drink. So I end up moving her back to Dallas. We get into some of my running crowds. Um, one of my buddies mentioned to her one night about how he hated doing meth with me if there's any girls around because I would disappear for two days with the girl and she was like I want to try that right (laughs) and I'm like okay so (laughs) I'm off and running again right right as soon as I put you know chemicals in me I mean it's instantaneous I don't care about anything else Mm -hmm. it becomes the priority Mm -hmm. and as much of a pedestal as I had her and my son on as soon as I put the substances in me there was no pedestal for them anymore. The only right. thing on the pedestal was getting high. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm off and running. I'm back and shooting meth again, snorting coke all the time, working for my family business. Um, 
I got a job for three years um, doing work with IndyCar. Okay. Um, which I'm a huge fan of. Sure, of course. I mean, that's kind of your passion or your calling. Yeah. Well, actually, that's a fun story. You, that's why they call you Dirty Dan is because you were always working on engines and you were always physically dirty. When I was 12 <laughs> years old, um, this dude named Mike Stubblefield that worked for my parents, I would get so nasty at my dad's shop uh-huh. that they would joke about my dad was like, hey, I charge you an extra 100 bucks for the undercarriage clean on your truck because i got to wash all this crap out of his clothes. Right. And so he started calling me Dirty Dan. Uh, my mom absolutely hated it. And then he left. Come here and there. You know, a friend of mine heard him call me it, and he would start calling me it at school. Just and that is where it came from. Yeah. But 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 your activities did not uh, do anything to uh, oh, dispel it. that. There was many other ways that I earned <laughs> yeah, it in my right. lifetime. Right. Everybody would always ask, you know, why why they call you dirty? And I was like, well, because it was guaranteed one time if you gave me a drug test, I was going to come up dirty. <laughs> <laughs> I, I also want to say too, you know, working with Dan over the last year, he has an innate ability to connect with clients and peers because he's walked this path that that most people can't say they've walked. You right. Know, he's been homeless. He's been addicted. He's come out. He's now a father, a husband, um, a somebody that i look up to sure as a, as a man you know a contributing member, member of, society. of society yeah but yeah. also uh, a lot of he's a lot of fun too yeah you know? and, well and, no and, i know and that's a huge thing i mean yeah. yeah if you're miserable and sober man i feel for you and we you have know? a good time i mean yeah you know i know he knows like sobriety's fun yeah it really is for sure we yeah. have a good time and i remember it yeah exactly and <laughs> Most of the time, you don't feel guilty about what you did. No, no, no. Every now and then, yeah, every now well, and I've then. I've never, I've never had anybody walk into my office and tell me their story, and I go, "Oh, well, Dan can't relate to that." I send him over to Dan, and, and Dan's got relate. Dan's the one-stop <laughs> shop, even on stuff that I can't relate to. Right, 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 right. So, okay, so anyway, so you're, you're. I know you were. You said you were working in IndyCar, and yeah. So um, I'm doing that, working at the shop. Um, Doing meth all the time. Mm. I'm one of the few tweakers that when I take it apart, I can remember how to put it back together. <laughs> okay, I like that. Which works for a mechanic. That's right? a good thing. Um, <laughs> man, I could work, man. And people knew. Nobody knew exactly what I was doing, but people knew. You so know, they knew something was a little little my, sketchy, a little squirrely. My parents said they didn't know, but they knew. Everybody yeah. knew. I mean, I was I disappeared to go score and come back. And, you know, it was just, it was bad. So, um I'm all strung out on meth. What got to the point where when my son started going to elementary school, um, I would come home so tweaked out that I would feel so uncomfortable with um, being around him and his mom. So I just hang out in the garage, right? Yeah. And I was complaining one day to um, one of my dealers, and he's like, no, I got something to help you, bro. I was like, what do you got? And he goes, "I I got some cheese. So you do your meth all day. When it's time to go home, just do a line of cheese, and you'll be normal. Uh Uh-huh. And I'm like, I'll tell his cheese. And he's like, it's heroin mixed with sleeping pills. And I'm like, oh, bro, I don't do heroin. You know, I'm not that kind of junkie. Yeah. And he goes, no, you don't understand. It's mixed with sleeping pills, so it's not as strong, right? And I'm an idiot. <laughs> oh, that sounds good. I'm an idiot that doesn't realize that a gram of heroin or a gram of heroin mixed with sleeping pills is still a gram of heroin. Sure. Right? So, man, I did it for the first time, and I go home, and I'm like Ward Cleaver. I'm washing the dishes with my wife, you know, uh-huh. and helping my kid with his work. And I'm like, this is awesome. 
And a week later, I was not doing meth anymore. I was just snorting cheese all the time, started getting a dope sick, and then said, why am I putting sleeping pills in this crap? And uh, heroin was my downfall. Yeah. So I was highly functioning on everything. Um, I would build up, like the AA book talks about, I'd build up this beautiful life for myself and then pull it down on top of my head. And then I'd rebuild another beautiful life for myself and I'd pull it down on top of my head. But when I pulled the heroin cloud down on top of my head, um, I didn't recover from it. Um, ended up living in the back of an abandoned semi. Wife kicked me out. Um, I hope I, I'm going to tell this story. It's usually hard for me to tell it, so forgive me if I get choked up. It's but, okay, so man. My ex-wife left me because I'm dope sick. She's begging me, you know, um, just stay home. I don't know what's going on with you, but we'll help you get through it. And uh, my dealer calls, says, hey, I've re-upped, so it's time to go get healthy again, right? And she hid my keys from me. And I'm like, where's my keys? I'm like really dope sick. And um, she's like, I'm not giving them to you, man. I don't care what you're going through. We'll get through this together. Just don't go. And um, I got a thing for collecting military knives. I love big old gnarly knives. And I went down to the toolbox, grabbed them. She was laying in our bed, and I jumped on her chest, and I'm pointing the knives at her. I want my, fo- I want my keys. Yeah. And she's like, I ain't giving them to you. And I was like, I'll make, them, make you give them to me. And she's like, you do what you got to do. So I started stabbing on either side of her head in the uh-huh. pillow. I shredded her pillow, her mattress, just mm-hmm. shredded them, right? And I see her looking this way. And, like, it caught my attention. Like, what the hell is she looking at? And I stopped, and I looked. And my... um my eight-year-old son was standing in the doorway screaming and crying so hard that it was absolutely silent. And uh, that, was, that was the end of that marriage, right? Wow. Um, I got my keys. I left. Um, I come home the next day. The house is already packed up. She's gone. Um, I end up in living in the back of this abandoned semi um, over in West Dallas. And my dad had some friends in AA. And they come pull me out of this abandoned semi, and they take me to this place in East Dallas called the 24-Hour Club. Hey, we love the 24-Hour Club. 24-Hour Club is a fantastic resource, Uh, and it's actually designed for – homeless right mm-hmm. yeah. and uh, but not only homeless but substance i mean people yeah. yeah and substance use and they are located on ross avenue and we're actually going to have uh marcia from the 24-hour club coming up in december uh, we have her on the show so one of my heroes i'm excited about that things. i want to hear about your life now too yeah, well yeah, sure. we, we've got time so um and, and this is where it starts, right? So I get to the 24-hour club. They drop me off. I'm eating this free burger. And this is the old building, not the new building. Right. right. Well, hold on. Before you get to the 24-hour club, when does the fish tank story come in? <laughs> <laughs> did, did, is that after the first time no, at the that, 24-hour that, that club, was, or is that before? That was way before. That was in my. That was before. Uh, that's, well, a, that's the stuff that got me into the w- Wichita Falls for the first time. Oh, yeah, yeah. So. You were telling me that you were unwillingly a coke mule, basically. Yeah, and so, <laughs> man, I got this friend of mine named the Smurf. and The um, Smurf, okay, that's always legit if you have a friend named the yeah. Smurf. Well, and he was built like a silverback gorilla. He had mental health issues. He was a bully. He was mean. Everybody was scared of him. Right. Um, I would take him places. I remember one time taking him to, what was that girl's name? Mer- Mer- Marie? Yeah, we went over. <laughs> no, we didn't. went to a party, right? And uh-huh. I knock on the door, and right when she answers, I had this leash in my hand for some reason, and I clipped it on his collar when I she answered my head the door. Hurt. Did you? 
Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, so anyway, I, I clip him on the leash, and as soon as she opens up the door, I was like, "Hey, I brought the Smurf, holding him on a leash." And, uh, <laughs> so, but anyway, we start working, moving um, aquariums at night. And uh-huh. These people had the best cocaine I ever had in my life. Uh-huh. Like, it was legit fish scales. It was good stuff, right? Right. So we were doing it for like a year, and. Um, Having the greatest time. Yeah, and you're cocaine. And you're working at an aquarium shop, right? No. So they owned all these aquariums, stores all over the Metroplex, saltwater aquariums. And they were big, big, big saltwater aquarium stores. Uh huh. Um, So I'm there for a year. They're like, hey, we have an idea. We want to promote you in Smurf. And I'm like, all right, you know, what's up? And they're like, we want you to collect money for us. And I'm like, (laughs) people don't pay you for these aquariums? Yeah, right? Don't tell you just... They're, yeah. like, they're like, what? And I was like, people aren't paying you for these aquariums? Why? And they're like, do you, you don't have a clue what's going on here, do you? And I was like, <laughs> I thought we were moving aquariums. <laughs> I'm just doing a bunch of coke, and so, I thought we were moving aquariums. Yeah. So <laughs> it turns out it was all a front for where the Colombians were bringing the cocaine into Dallas, and they would go to these different saltwater aquarium stores, and then they would go to the community from there. Right, and you That's were you were making deliveries at like three in the morning and didn't didn't think twice about it. <laughs> Not even twice. Like I found the ultimate job. They pay me and they give me cocaine. Yeah. So I, I never claimed to be bright. So um, yeah. So that went on for a while. Um, it was great, and then it would move to where they would have me babysit. They would have these like super rich girls that would get really weird on cocaine. And so, like, they would buy an ounce of cocaine, and I would have to babysit them at their house while they did the cocaine, which okay. was a really dumb idea. Sure. Um, I guess, I don't know, whatever they were trying to did you bring the was Did you bring the Smurf with you? I don't know. No. <laughs> all by myself. <laughs> Look at Dan. <laughs> hey, so, we, we won't go into that. I'm just leave that one. Yeah. I, I wasn't always fat. Right. So, um, <laughs> no, um... To the 24. I, I get dropped off the 24-hour club, right? Uh-huh. Now, the night before, I've been smoking crack okay. in the back of an abandoned semi-trailer. Right. Life's great, right? Sure. So I get dropped off in the old dining room, and I'm sitting there looking around this place, and I'm like, what in the fuck have I done to my life that this is my future now, right? What have I done? I never thought that once in the back of the abandoned semi. But mm-hmm. that 2-4, that old building, it definitely had that going through my mind. <laughs> what in the hell have i done right so it's funny i I call my i didn't know she was trying to divorce me at the time i call my ex-wife and i'm like hey man i'm gonna go to this treatment place i'm gonna get sober and she's like whatever you do quit smoking weed and i was like uh i thought she said that was okay that was you know my medication kept me stable she goes you need to quit everything Mm. and i was like well i tell you what um, I'm gonna pray about it, and if God wants me to quit smoking weed, I'll quit smoking weed too. Okay. She's like, okay. So, I go in, I fill my paperwork out at the two four. They take my Polaroid picture, and uh-huh. I go out on the front porch because back then you could smoke on the front porch. And I light up a cigarette, and I look up, and there's a sign in the front yard staring at me that said, "Keep off the grass." And I was like, <laughs> I love that. That's great. So, and that was your, your I, I stayed sober for almost a year there. Really? Uh, I was okay. working in the kitchen. I became staff at the 24 hour club. Right now. So when you were there at the 24 hour club, were you, uh, were you doing 
the 12 steps? I mean, yep. was that mm -hmm. basically your yeah, you recovery had, program? Yeah, you had to for then. The, okay. You had to be working with a sponsor. You had to give permission for the office to check in with your sponsor. Okay. Now, the old 2-4 is a little bit different than uh -huh. it is today because back then the inmates ran the asylum. Uh, so people that actually started working the program and doing good when office jobs or director jobs opened up, the house would vote who living at that house was going to take over those positions. Right. I got you. So, I mean, literally the inmate. It was a little, inside. yeah. So it was a little some more self-governing back then. Yeah. Yes. Which was good. Mm -hmm. And it was bad. Okay. Right. So. Sure. Um, did it for a year. Uh, met K2 mm -hmm. and found out that I could get high and pass drug tests. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Well, for what K2, the K2 that's out there now. Uh, K2 slash spice that's out there now is very, very sketchy and can cause you to overdose. Just so you know, I don't know what it was like back then, but basically it is a plant uh, matter and it's just sprayed with whatever random chemical they find. Mm -hmm. So they and say it's synthetic weed. and I, I It say is it's, not. It's more like synthetic um, PCP. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. That's actually yeah. a good description. Yeah, okay. because I, I had a friend in the Navy, and, and uh, the officers would tell them, hey, you know, this is this thing that's out there, and we can't test for it. So they would do a lot of it. But then people were dying yeah. because yeah. of it. Yeah. you don't know what's in it. I seen some freaky stuff. I had a person one time at the Dart Rail Station at Mockingbird Station in the middle of the night. Well, it was, it was the trains were still running, so it wasn't in the middle of the night. Asked if he could smoke with me. I was like, have you ever smoked this before? And he's like, I smoke it all the time. So I burned with him, with him. And like three hits later, this dude is doing the worm on his way to an oncoming train. <laughs> oh, wow. Like, I started to leave, and I'm like, dude, this dude's going to get run over by a train. And there's cameras all over this place. So basic, but basically, you start, you start doing, I mean, you had a year clean, right? Yeah. So you knew what was sober was like. But then that still, that addict part of you still wanted to jump in there and, and, and find something that you could get away so with. I hadn't <laughs> surrendered to my addiction yet, right? Uh. I had conceded. Okay. I hadn't surrendered. Conceded, I conceded. Conceded and surrender and are two I, different things. And yes. I tell this to people in my story all yeah. the time, you know. Conceding is like when a presidential race, you know, somebody wins, the loser calls the winner, and they're like, hey, votes in, you won. Mm -hmm. I think you suck. I could do better. Yeah, right. right. That's how I handled my addiction. Mm -hmm. You know, where surrender is like what the Japanese did on the bow of the USS Missouri. Here's our sword. No terms, no conditions. Please stop dropping atomic bombs on us. Mm -hmm. Right. That's sure. surrender. Right. So I hadn't done that yet. I always had it in the back of my mind that I was going to smoke weed and drink like a normal person. Right, of I course. I just <laughs> had to get this hard stuff away from me. Sure, But yes. the problem is, as soon as I start smoking K2, then I'm like, can't hey, screw it. Why am I smoking this? I'm going to smoke weed. And then as soon as I'm smoking weed, I'm like, you know, Friday night rolls around. I could smoke sixty dollars with crack. No one will know, right? Right. Yeah, and, and just do it one time, man. Just kind of here. Yeah, just occasionally. So then, how long? Okay, so year sobriety, and then you went back just by smoking K two, and then what happens? Like, how long of a window of? Uh, I was homeless within a week. <laughs> wow, dude. Because I was, I didn't want to go to work no more. I just want to sit around and get high. Yeah. Right. And so my apartment that I I had. Um, was not like it was an old school East Dallas apartment where you're paying weekly, right? Mm. And so, um, a week of getting high, I ain't got no money to pay rent, so mm -hmm. I'm out. 
Um, I'm out on the streets. So from 2009 to when I got sober in 2014, if I was not in the 24-hour club, I was on the streets. Mm -hmm. And I was in and out, in and out so many times that eventually I was given a lifetime ban from the Dallas 24-hour club. Yeah. Don't ever come back here again. Yeah. And I was butthurt about it. I was judgmental. Like, you guys are sitting up there judging who gets to get sober and who don't. You know? Right. I want to be sober. I just can't figure it out. Right. And um, one of them, uh, somebody I really respect is like, dude, they're not throwing you to the curb, bro. You're, they love you, and you're, like, killing yourself, right? Mm -hmm. And it's hard to watch, you right. know? And then they got people that they're trying to, to help recover, right, that are drawn to you and friendship with you and whatnot. And you're just throwing everything away. We understand it's not a choice, but it's hard to watch you kill yourself. Sure. That's why they're asking you not to come around anymore. Right. And it's not like you were banned, banned, but it was just like, dude, it was like when you get serious, come yeah. back. You so know? I always joke now, a lifetime ban from the Dallas 24-hour yeah. club yeah. means don't come around for 30 days. Yeah, right. <laughs> I like that, yeah. So, but anyway, I finally got to the point where, and this is where my story, um, and I think it's really important in, in, in recovery, whether it, sobriety recovery whatever um i think there's two things that cause people to relapse more than the substances okay right and that's lifestyle or trauma right i know shame and guilt are way more addicting than heroin right mm -hmm. um and it's comfortable especially guilt like something that you think you've earned mm -hmm. right that's right. hard to let go of because you did it you're accepting your responsibility so to so to speak right it's hard to let go of but so's lifestyle mm -hmm. you know you get bored Oh, yeah. You know, running a gun in the streets and then coming, you know, living at a sober living house and carrying a message that's, mm -hmm. it's boring. Right. Or, or it can be. Yes. It can be. Yeah. Right. So um, that's what kept dragging me out was guilt about what my son had experienced. Right. Or, right. I, or I'd get bored. Yeah. Well, I mean, it seems like, and I always stress this as well, you know, do something that's going to. You know, there's nothing that's going to ever, you know, take over what your addiction was. But do something fun. Find something to do. Find something you're passionate about. Uh, and, and try to, you know, replace that, um, that addiction with something good and throw yourself into that. Because, you know, if, if you don't, then, then you're going to wind up uh, with the recidivism yeah, like yourself. Yeah, people get into that. They're in this uncomfortable comfort zone right mm -hmm. they can see like my life will be better over mm -hmm. there but they don't know that life they yeah. only know what they know which is this discomfort this dismay um these feelings that you're not used to feeling you know yeah. the awkwardness of yeah. emotion yeah. You have uh, to dealing with trauma yeah take a step and forward yeah into that new life sure and that's hard and it, yeah and actually being present for your life mm -hmm. yeah I always like when you see on some of our sober page posts where people start talking about in early sobriety how awkward it is to pursue the opposite sex, right? And, right. Uh, well, that's why they suggest a year of. I'm like, I'm like, you think that's abstinence. awkward? Wait till yeah. the first time you got to get naked and that sex crazed pervert you used to be doesn't show up. You want to talk about awkward? <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. That's so true, though. All right. Anyway, sorry, I digress. No, but so okay, so basically, let's just put this nutshell so how many times did you try to get sober before the one that took i have no idea i mean count like ballpark me 40 times 40 times so 40 times of I, I am a just, chronic relapse yeah okay so, so okay so what would you 
and just 101, because I know a, a lot of chronic relapsers, what would you, you know, suggest to a person that is a chronic relapser? What would you, what would you tell them right now if they're listening? So one, and, and it's sometimes, like I said just a second ago, it's not the substance that keeps bringing us out, right? It's the lifestyle or the shame and the guilt. So for me, what did it finally for me is the last time I was homeless on the streets, um, these two dealers in Uptown, they're like, say, we keep seeing you on the streets. You're like different than everybody else. And we really like you. You're like one of our favorite customers. They're like, uh, we have this studio apartment that we keep all our dope in. So we don't have to carry it around. And we'll let you live there for free. We'll even give you dope if you'll babysit our stash. You just have to worry about cigarettes and food. And I'm like, dude, oh, my God. And I'm finally appreciated again, right? I have found my calling. Right. So I get there. Well, anyway, it, these guys would start showing up with friends, and they would start kind of, like, showing out, treating me like trash, talking, uh-huh. just showing out, right? And I finally, I got so mad at them one day, man, that they left. And I took every cabinet and drawer that had all the dope in it, and I tied them open. I took every screen off of the windows and put them in the bathroom, opened up the bathroom windows, opened up the front door, tied the front door open, and was like, deuces. Mm. Oh, I hope all your shit gets stolen. Right. And... um I was on the streets for about a month, just fed up. I don't want to mm-hmm. talk to a drug addict. I don't want to talk to a dealer. I don't. I am fed up. I am done with this drug addict lifestyle. Right. Mm-hmm. This one's going through my head, and I don't, I don't even want to deal. While with you're still actively using, no, no. I, now all I was, I say no. I was doing K two. I okay. decided I'm not getting high anymore. I'm just doing K two. But okay. it, it's hard to sleep on the streets at night. Right. Sober. So. Um, I'm like, I don't even want nothing to do with people in recovery anymore because there's that drug scene. I don't want nothing to do with it. I am over it, right? And um, I accidentally walked in front of the 2-4. My friend Michael Archer comes running out, and he's like, say, bro, um, I'm working here now in mm-hmm. the office, and I want to get you back in. And I'm like, yeah, I already said it's a lifetime ban. And he's like, no, they, they said if the, the board um, votes you in, you can come back in. And so the board was like Brian Cuban and a bunch of other people from – Mm-hmm. Highland Park that don't know me from Adam and he goes if I can get the vote and they vote you in would you come back in and I was like I'd be stupid if I don't mm-hmm. and he's like good because we had the vote last night and they voted you in <laughs> surprise shut up Brian <laughs> yeah right so um, he takes me to his apartment where he has me meet him at his apartment and he's like hey I'll be home at 6 o'clock I've been in the same sweat outfit for like the last 6 months it could stand on its own uh, right and you were truly. I was you, homeless, bro. You were maybe like next level dirty Dan. You were like filthy Dan. I was er. <laughs> I was dirty er. Yeah. Um, so I'm six o'clock. Um, I start having this conversation with God, and I'm like, I don't want to get high no more. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd had this conversation before with him, but this one was different. I like, I don't ever want to get high again. As I'm smoking K2, mm-hmm. I was like, can this please be the last time I ever get high? I don't want to get high again. And uh, this was November 17th, uh, 2004. Actually, this was November 16th, 2014. And it started snowing on me. And I was like, holy crap, I'm getting fleeced white as snow, right? Mm-hmm. So I took everything I had and I dumped it out. And um, this seepage coming out of this dumpster. And right when I got rid of it all, because I knew Archer was going to be home any minute, he calls like, hey, I'm not going to be there till like 11. I was like, oh, shit. Damn it, I just <laughs> threw away my shit. <laughs> right? I never got high again, though. So. Right? 
Well, I mean, but what made it work at that time? I mean, just just I'm finally... honestly got sick of the lifestyle, man. Yeah, I got a stomach full. And, right? and that's one thing I love to point out is that nobody can make you want sobriety. Nobody. Nobody. Mm-hmm. You have to want it for yourself. Yeah, I just got sick of the lifestyle, man. I was done. Um, but so let's talk a little positive. Or so, so there was a lot of work that goes uh-huh. into this, right? So I sure. go into the 2-4. Again, I got these ego problems because I've done things that you can't even imagine. I'm better than everybody here. And um, I decided when I went in this time, I was like, you know what? I'm an idiot for thinking I'm better than these people. And these people have been sober for a couple years now, and they keep trying. They're doing good. I said, when I come into this, I'm going to serve this entire house. Like, mm-hmm. I don't, everybody is better than me, right? Mm-hmm. And I forced that stuff on me um, for a long time. I still do it now. People will be like, dude, why are you always putting yourself down? I'm like, that's kind of the way I keep my ego in check, you know? It's, right. I'm, I'm, I know what I'm you doing. Know, you know I was big on the go-kart circuit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, too. Uh-huh. But no, I get it, man. So, but you but you're wonderful life right now, too. Yeah, man. well, you're, that's what I was gonna say. So, so now I, you, I'm married you are way awesome out. family man. I married yeah. way out of my pay grade. Sure, um, you, it's you number one question. I've heard my entire your coverage. Life. Yes, yeah. I, um, it's it's been great. We're two peas in a pod, and her name is Valerie. Hey, Valerie, okay. Nah, Hi, Valerie. Shout out. She's kind of big in yeah. the DAA world. And we're and gonna have her on the show as well. She's you'll man, have her explain the twelve steps to you, blow your mind. She's yeah. so okay. incredible with the twelve steps. All right. So So but yeah, so like we got married. How uh, no, but how long have you been sober now? How I mean, long have you been able to the seventeenth of next month will be um seven years. Seven years, man, that's big. Yeah. That's huge. For I mean, sure. from going to be to to where you think I mean a lot of people in society would think, oh, man, well, this guy's just never going to get it, mm-hmm. you know? And that's that's why I think it's so important. Ask Marsha when she's here. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sure she deals with people that are never going to get it. And and I'm glad, I'm glad personally, and I'm sure you are, uh, that you got it finally yeah, and figured sure. it out and actually, you know, wanted it for yourself and, and did the work to get there as well. I mean, because... I think you are a a beacon of hope for all those people out there that are are chronic users and and you know you you present in the recovery community all the time. I mean, you're an active member, you're at TCC, you're at Turtle Creek. Uh, I mean, what else? I want to give a shout out to Metro Relief. That's where I'll start work next week. Okay. It's a homeless outreach, mm-hmm. um, which is really cool because we'll go to the neighborhoods I used to be homeless in. Hey, guess what? Yeah, you know you know so, that. Oh, dude, that guy's living in my old <laughs> in I, my old dumpster. No, That's my I, spot. I do that all the time. Well, right? I got to give you an experience. So I went out with him last Saturday, and a guy that I used to be homeless with mm-hmm. walked in the bus. And I was so happy to see him. He's so happy to see me. It was really cool. Um, he bolted. When he bolted, all of a sudden, I got so bummed out you know mm-hmm. because my life has changed so much in the last seven years right mm-hmm. and this cat's still out there yeah and uh i remember that man and he's been going through that for another seven years man just can you imagine dude. can you imagine that you probably wouldn't be around dude i gotta say dirty dan might not have been uh he might have been six feet under i told my sponsor one time when i was out there i was like i've accepted my my fate i'm to uh, die a drug addict out here you know and i think it's coming, yeah i think it's coming a lot soon. of people are are that way they're my, they, my sponsor yeah. says you really think you're that lucky i was like what do you mean that lucky he goes could you imagine being out here for another 30 years 
Hey, real quick, but I mean, you know, you're doing good things in the community. You've had some sobriety. Hey, Brett, we're going to, we, we do have a video question from our friend Stephanie Crawford. She sent this in to me and I wanted to get it, her on the air. She's actually with Maggie's house and Maggie's house is a sober uh, living, it's facility and uh, all kinds of good stuff, but it's mainly for alcohol and it's for women, but they also have a podcast and, uh, I love her. I had them on the show earlier. You can look it up on our YouTube channel, which is thispinkcloud.com. If you go to thispinkcloud.com, please subscribe. But her episode will be on there from Maggie's house. And let's hear what Stephanie has to ask us this week. Hi, Kelly. This is Stephanie with the Magdalene House. And I would like to ask, if someone is in denial about their alcoholism or drug addiction, what is the best way that you would recommend a family member to be helpful to them? Also, don't forget to check out the Magdalene House podcast where we conduct interviews, step studies, big book workshops, and more. Bye. Cool. <laughs> and I love Stephanie. She's great. She's good people. Doing good things. She's RSPS. Great as question. Well. Yeah. yeah, but this is uh, one of those vexing questions. I've gotten actually personal emails um, from people. Um, you know, saying, hey, you know, my dad, my 70-year-old dad's an alcoholic, but, you know, he's in denial. What should I do? And I, I always suggest, you know, you can only do so much as a family member. I, I always am a big advocate for Al-Anon uh, for the person. Um, just because, you know, somebody you know has the addiction, it's not just their problem. I mean, you have to learn to deal with it your way, and you can actually have your own community in Al-Anon, you know, without having an addiction, but just having a loved one that's an addiction because then you can relate and have, have a resource and a community behind you of people going through similar stuff. So, I mean. Absolutely. Um, one of the things I want to add to that, it's, Great advice. Uh, Al-Anon is wonderful because really you have to focus on how do I get through this experience of supporting somebody that's in active addiction. So Al-Anon would be my number one. And there's other communities out there, too. Um, we had somebody on the show uh, who runs Recovery for the Rest of Us. You mm -hmm. know, uh, And so it's a Facebook page you can check out. And so it's getting to know other people that are going through similar experiences than you're going through because sometimes you don't have the answers, but if you collaborate with other people, they will give you some. Well, and so know, smart recovery has friends and family, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I, the 12 steps has Island on smart recovery has friends and family, mm -hmm. uh, which is directed to helping them. So the key is what she said there at the end, you know, what that the help isn't when you got somebody in denial, they're not going to be that much of help to the person in denial as you are going to be the loved ones that are around. Right. Them. And I mean, maybe you can try to get them to kind of take, you know, a, a, an inventory <laughs> anyway, but you know, and, and maybe help them to realize, um, you know, or a basic exercise of, Hey, what are the pros and cons of you drinking? Um, because I'm seeing a lot of cons and you're killing yourself. So, you know, I mean, I think you can confront them lightly, but, uh, and definitely speak to them and let them know that you feel that they have a problem, um, you know, with drugs or alcohol. Yeah, for sure. You, 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 you don't want to protect somebody from their consequences because consequences are great motivators, right? Sure. So 
and you can totally set your boundaries and express your, express your feelings um, about the loved one that's suffering through the addiction. But um, me personally, um, recovery has to be attracted, not promoted, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So it says you, that in the in that big blue book. If you push somebody into it, I mean, it didn't work for me. Did it work for you? People pushing you into it. No, I had to want it myself. That's it. So that's what I'm saying. So yeah. you, I, I recommend that the loved ones go work on themselves, right? And By the way, I didn't have a problem. If you so, <laughs> just let's, let's be clear on that. Okay. My bad. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, I'll coast on that bullshit. Yeah. Um, right. <laughs> so, you know, I used to, before we moved to McKinney, we'd get um, calls to do 12-step calls in emergency rooms. They'd call up and say, hey, we got one for you. Mm-hmm. And I never, not one time, that I ever did a 12-step call in any of the emergency rooms in Dallas did I ever get through to the attic, ever, not once. Mm-hmm. But the families that were there crying on their bedside, I did a lot of help for those people. Yeah, you know, right. Explaining to them what's going yeah. on, what's going to work, what's not going to work, what you can do, what you can expect, maybe and you if, know, if the or love possibilities. Yeah, to shift that focus from them to you. Like, what do you need? How are you going to get through this for experience? Sure. Because yeah. that's rough. Mm-hmm. Being the loved one of somebody who is suffering an addiction, you have your own experience, yep. and that yeah. is huge. Well, guys, we are at that time. I also I want to give a shout-out to our, our uh, sponsor, which is summersky.us, and that is 888-857-8857, and that is summersky.us. They are a great resource. Like, we're uh, how to tie this in. We are all, you know, like I said, I was in complete denial uh, of my addiction. I, it was not a problem. It was a problem for everybody else, but not me. Uh, until I had that 30 days that window of clarity and, you know, the supervised medical detox, um, you know, I had, I, I, you know, you need some time to give yourself to process. Um, maybe that, you know, you do have a problem, you know, Hey, and, and if you don't think you have a problem, then just quit. Yeah. <laughs> or, or just, you know, just do yeah, it. yeah, right. Exactly. But Hey, uh, and uh, real quick, I want to give your Facebook page a shout out, uh, knucklehead recovery, um, and then do you guys have any shouts out? Uh, Sobar Basics Facebook yeah. page, SobarBasics.com and Texoma Community Center where we do work. It's Dan's last day, and so I want to give him a big shout out. This is your the, going away party. Yeah. All <laughs> the awesome work he's done right. over the last year or so. Um, you've been an integral m- member of the team and brought so much to it, and uh, I've just coming to work every day knowing that you're going to be there. It's been awesome, man. So I'm going to miss you a lot. I love you. And you've been an inspiration to me. So keep up all the good work. And I see big things in your future, man. So keep doing what you're doing, brother. Thank you. Hope it's not debt, the big thing he sees in my future. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) right, right, right. Hey, and then uh, obviously you have your shouts out, and I will, uh, you know. To my my wife, Valor, hello, my kids. Um, But, man, the biggest thing I want to bring recognition to, man, is all our friends that didn't make it this far, man, and we lost along the way. Yeah. So that's what I want to give a shout out to. That's heavy. That's heavy. Pour pour one on the block. Pour a water on the block for our homies. Yeah, no, no, no. But uh, thanks for coming out, buddy. I appreciate it. And uh, thanks for sharing your story because uh, hopefully we inspired somebody out there. And, uh, Brett, if you would play us out, please. But uh, other than that, Knucklehead Recovery on Facebook page, thispinkcloud.com, YouTube, Sobar Basics on uh, Facebook. 
And then remember, everybody, there is no magic pill for sobriety because if there was, we would all take too many. If one works, imagine what six would do.